Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Ariana Bravo and this is the Autosport Podcast. It's race day in Imola and what a race it was. We had drama from before the lights even went out and we are still getting announcements right now as we go into recording. But ultimately, Max Verstappen took the win with more than a 20 second lead after a solid performance from start to finish. Joining Max on the podium was Lewis Hamilton, who fought back to second after a rare error saw him coming off the track, and Lando Norris, who put in a sensational drive to finish third and earn himself driver of the day. Valtteri Bottas' weekend went from bad to worse after a huge crash between him and George Russell that brought not only a red flag, but a lot of frustration from both drivers. And a pretty good end to the weekend for the Ferrari guys, who managed to secure a fourth and fifth finish. Now, we have a lot to unpack today, and joining me to discuss it all is Stuart Codling, Executive Editor of GP Racing, Luke Smith, Autosports Formula One reporter, and Jess McFadden, Director of Digital Strategy for Motorsport Network. Where do we even begin? First of all, Max, he grabbed the lead at the very beginning of the race and really just held control from then. What did you make of the race start, Codders? I thought it was going to actually kick off a lot more than it did. It was the most sensible race start you could expect in those circumstances. Apart from maybe Lewis, I thought um, Max took the start very well. I, I understand he was in second gear, so his initial getaway was a little slow, but then he got excellent traction, and you saw that kind of second phase acceleration once the engine really sort of kicks in. He got great traction, and that's when he scooted past Lewis. 
when Lewis and Max went into sort of the, the first bit of Tamburello side by side, you kind of knew that Max had it. You thought Lewis, knowing Max, would know that there was no point in hanging out around the outside there. And yet he did. So I kind of thought that set the tone for uh, a day when Lewis made, you know, more than one mistake, actually, although he did drive brilliantly to come back to second place. And Luke, before we talk about that error from Lewis, what were your thoughts on the battle for first that we thought might evolve into something a bit tighter? I think, yeah, as the track dried out and we heard Max constantly coming over the radio saying, like, how the conditions, who's moving on to slicks, where are things at? And I think as we got towards sort of that crossover phase that we know that Lewis is so, so strong in, that's where we saw the gap come down from about five seconds to about two seconds. They're obviously weaving through traffic and dealing with blue flag back markers and things like that. And I think it was really sort of ramping up and really getting exciting. And I was kind of thinking, okay, this could be a real sort of ding dong battle. And it was ultimately that, yeah, once I think Red Bull saw, I think Sebastian Vettel, he was the first man to make that switch and the timing screen, I was following him and it lit up purple and you knew, okay, that's the moment to go. And Red Bull reacted really, really well, props to that. And that made sure, ensured they could get max in and uh yeah and he, but even after that i mean the gap went up to about five seconds after they switched to mediums but again because imola is so difficult to overtake around it meant that if you hit blue flags and if back markers aren't getting out of your way perhaps as they should then you're going to make up a lot of time and i think the gap at, at one point was down to about 1.3 or 1.4 seconds so it was it was yeah very exciting and uh, ultimately we didn't we got maybe denied that great battle for the lead we could have had, I think, had it been Max and Lewis going head to head. But I think what today only really underlined is just what a different level they are to everyone else on the grid right now. I mean, we've got a lot of exceptionally talented drivers. I mean, Charles Leclerc, I think he is up there as sort of a generational talent. But with the whole package, the cars, and just, I think, their general confidence and everything right now, Max and Lewis are in a different league to everyone else. And I think we saw that in uh, leaps and bounds today, even if, obviously, Lewis did have his uh, little little off-track excursion at one point. Even though we got denied that battle today, hopefully in the races to come, we will get to see a bit more of that tight fighting between the two of them. Jess, after that red flag period that we had... Max Verstappen was very much in control to the end. What did you think of his drive today? When the whole idea of the fact that rain was threatening around the circuit, I think as as we usually go, we kind of look at that with bated breath because ordinarily it, it threatens and then it never arrives. Um, but today it, the rain gods delivered. And I think as soon as you start getting mixed conditions, um, you know it's going to play into the hands of a few drivers and Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton are amazing wet weather drivers. There was carnage on the way to the track, which just kind of, you know, meant that we were going to have uh, a race on our hands. At one point, I was actually wondering how many cars would make it to the grid. Um, but, you know, I think as soon as that happened, as soon as we had those changing conditions, it was falling into the hands of those two two drivers. And as we've kind of pointed out, it was quite strange strange to see mistakes from Lewis Hamilton but Max's performance I mean I think in in all of it he made one mistake um, which was on the the rolling start where he he lost it a bit but managed to to save it but in in everything I think that's probably one of the only uh, errors that he made throughout the entire Grand Prix which just goes to show 
what a strong driver he is um and as as you know as the guys have said it, the, those two giants are, are are just so exciting to watch in conditions like this um and obviously you know we're, i'm sure we're going to go on to talk about lando norris and he obviously got driver of the day but it's so hard to i guess uh, award driver of the day to perfection because that's what max verstappen ultimately delivered bar that niggle um his start was amazing the way he controlled the race was amazing the way he handled his tires was amazing the win was very very much deserved in my eyes yeah we do often see the driver of the day not necessarily going to the person that has the perfect race um but they do get the win in the end as well so at least they have that to show for it which is definitely more important when it comes to the end of it right we've spoken about lewis's error what was that today like what do you think contributed towards the fact that he was making those errors because it is rare that we see Lewis making errors that actually cost him as well in a race so what do you think um was throwing him off a bit today Codders? Tricky to say it's it's unusual we, we, we have an unusual circumstance at the moment don't we where the Mercedes is palpably not quite the fastest car so everything Lewis seems to be taking out of it um, is is almost more than it's capable of which is such an ugly sentence I, I, I ended it with a preposition it's terrible I do apologize to all the <laughs> listeners for that Lewis has been brilliant in wet weather conditions before so it's not that I just felt like he kind of I, I think he felt that he needed to lead this race from the front because the, the car isn't quite what it was so maybe just that moment of desperation we we talked about earlier at, at the first corner where he was so desperate to hang on to the lead that he committed himself to a part of the racetrack that uh, Max Verstappen was going to occupy within seconds and he ended up clattering over the curbs and just taking sort of the foot plate off the end plate of his car so that might have hurt him throughout the course of the race and then just that bit he came up on that train of cars in the middle what was it it was George Russell and Kimi Raikkonen just after the pit stop and he was on slick tyres and what do you not do when you're on slick tyres in, in one of these wet dry races you don't go off the dry line onto the wet because you skitter straight off especially at a, at a circuit like that so I don't know maybe once again just the sort of his urge to get back on terms I think he felt like he, he just needed to push really really hard take the car by the scruff of the neck and kind of take risks that he might not otherwise take and you know doing that he's only human he is he is a, a multiple world champion and the, the greatest driver of his generation but even people like that do make mistakes Although he did make the mistake, he managed to fight his way back up to that podium finish. He got back up into P2. And for a moment there, it did look like he might end up with no points whatsoever. Of course, he is still leading the championship by one point, thanks to that fastest lap. Luke, were you impressed with his drive back up to P2? Oh, massively, yeah. I think that we know that had it been another year where Mercedes are sort of far and away the dominant team and I think even even that much vaunted drive uh, Hockenheim in what 2018 when he started 14th and fought his way through it, it was impressive but the car was just like a, in a different class basically to the rest of the field um, whereas now in 2021 we don't really have that anymore like the field is really like closely bunched and we've seen on occasion um, in the past that Mercedes now actually if you put them in traffic they do actually find it very very hard to fight through I'm thinking of um, I mean Monza last year for example when Lewis had to do a similar thing and try and fight his way back up the order um, and uh, particularly when he was coming up behind Lando Norris in the, in the fight for second place that McLaren is an absolute rocket in a 
straight line obviously now with the Mercedes power unit as well and I was kind of thinking oh, Lando might have this actually you might be able to hold him off but not quite in the end um, but yeah I mean let's not take anything away from Lewis I think that there was definitely a slice of fortune because without the red flag he would have been a lap down which would obviously would have limited him to I think seventh place at best maybe um, so and um, obviously he, take, he took full responsibility for the mistake but again you just got to roll with the punches and sometimes you get a bit of a bit of a lucky break and, and he got that um, I think there were a couple of cars Sergio Perez for example who spun in front of him as well and gave a couple of positions but we shouldn't take anything away no from his comeback drive I thought it was a really excellent display and I think that Lewis he's always been very good at the the bad days he still finishes second and he still has sort of is able to recapture a lot of points and Today was really all about damage limitation in that fight against Max Verstappen. And uh, when you're sat in the wall at Toza and thinking, that's it, even the actual F1 TV graphic had Hamilton listed as out because they thought, that's it, race over. For him to come back and leave Imola not only finishing second, but still leading the World Championship, I thought was really remarkable. So yeah, he deserves full credit because even on his bad days, he still turns out not too bad. The red flag was quite the get-out-of-jail-free card, though, wasn't it? I'm surprised yes. that we haven't got a conspiracy theory going. Should Go we, on, you maybe we should start there. on here. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clock into one of the forums or drop some madness. But, um, yeah, it, it is surprising that no one, no one on Twitter has at least said, well, this is a fix-up, isn't it? I'm, I'm surprised that some of the more stupid journalists we rub shoulders with uh, haven't put it to Toto. Maybe they'd uh, got their timings wrong and weren't in the right WhatsApp group to, to get join Toto at the right time to put it to him. Well, I'm glad we've got you here to at least put that into existence and let it float around. <laughs> we'll see if it picks up any traction um, on socials or with those other journalists that you speak of. But let's move on to our driver of the day, Lando Norris. It was clear from yesterday that he was getting along well with that McLaren car. And today he only went on to further prove that. What did you make of his weekend and his drive today, guys? Jess, you first. So impressed with Lando today. And I think the reason was is because we really got to see how much he's matured as a racing driver today. Um, he put in some ballsy moves. Um, and although he is very confident with that McLaren underneath him, and as Luke said, you know, it seems like they've got a really fast package um, that he can probably, you know, put a bit of confidence behind. I think in previous years, in previous seasons, I mean, given this is only, what, his third season in Formula One, but he he would not have got gone into some of those moves that we saw today and he would not have been as ballsy. And to come off the back of what was really a disappointing qualifying session for him and to finish P3, and as Luke said, battling with Mercedes and, and you know, really taking it to Ferrari and at some points Red Bull, I think it was just a, a brilliant, brilliant race. I think it could almost be, I mean, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but this might be one of his career defining races just in terms of his progression as a Formula One driver. Um, I think he'll look at this as one of the key turning points for him because everything kind of went right and he, he could show us how he can come back from a setback and end up on a podium. So yeah, I think it's just an absolutely well-deserved driver of the day even if you know Max Verstappen was perfection pretty much as well um but yeah he's he has nothing but to be extremely proud of his performance from my perspective and I think with 
Daniel Ricciardo arriving at McLaren, that was always kind of seen as being the big yardstick for Lando to actually see, okay, how good is Lando Norris? We've seen him up against Carlos Sainz Jr., but Ricciardo, he's a known race winner, allegedly world champion material. And Lando today had the confidence to come over radio and say, look, I'm faster than him, let me pass. And I was kind of thinking, like, okay, my, a bit of sort of beef here between the two McLaren guys, like second race in, all very pally-pally up till now. Uh, Ricciardo was a great team player, diligently moved aside and I think within two laps Lando was already five seconds up the road and in the end finished I think half a minute clear of Daniel and that I think just proved that it was a very I think it just proves the confidence that Lando Norris has got now that he knows where he is he's not a rookie anymore he's not this sort of young guy who's come in and wants to prove himself he knows he is podium quality he's got the chance to fight at the very front and he did that today and I think that yeah he really did make McLaren's race because if they'd have said well no 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 Daniel's Daniel's team leader he's the guy in front like we'll just leave it be it would have completely screwed their race but in the end actually Lando had the sort of the confidence to say look I I can go quicker let me ahead and in the end it got them a podium which was fantastic so yeah I'm so impressed by Lando today and I think that if this is sort of the, the sign of things to come and I know that drivers take a bit of time to get up to speed with new teams and whatever but the way he is so early on being such a match for Daniel I think it's fantastic and it's only going to put Lando stock up and up and up. And I agree, Jess, like, I think today is going to be a performance we do look back on and say, yeah, that was a real moment where we went, OK, Lando, he, he's special. He's got it. Yeah, it was the way that the team reacted straight away. And instead of telling him to stick it back in his box and do as he's told, they actually listened. And then they had the productive dialogue with, with Ricardo, who moved over. And you sort of have to compare and contrast with Ferrari all those years ago at the German Grand Prix with Fernando Alonso and Felipe Massa, where Alonso was was chuntering down the radio that he wanted to be allowed past. And Massa went faster. And um, so, and, and Alonso carried on chuntering. Massa carried on being faster than him to the extent that they eventually just had to get Massa out of the way just to keep Alonso quiet. And you felt that that wasn't what was going on today, for sure, because Norris was passed and what he was, um, yeah, he, he put six seconds on Ricardo in three laps, which was uh, pretty good going by any measure. Such a good drive from him today. Really, really enjoyed seeing him giving it his all and it paying off as well with that podium. Um, I think everybody was very, very happy to see Mm. that. I know that social media always goes crazy. The other thing which really, really impressed me was the pass he didn't make and backed out of. So, you know, he's, he's, they're blasting down the main straight three abreast. He's, he's in that battle with, with Stroll and, and Sainz. And he just tries to go past Gasly as well. And Gasly lays claim to the corner. And instead of just trying to be massively brave heart and do it, Lando backed out. And, and that, you know, he'd done the brave bit. And then he did the wise bit all in one huge overtaking manoeuvre. And, and that, for me, really, really wrapped his up nice, neatly gift wrapped it beautifully and i'll stop talking about norris now because i think you know this there's 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 19 other drivers it's okay praise where it is due and it definitely did show a sign of his maturity as well which is good to see as we've said he's really come far from his first season he's now really establishing himself within that team but on the point of passes i think we should now talk about the george russell and valtteri bottas incident Luke, I can see you rubbing your hands together there. Oh, what on yes. earth happened? Talk to <laughs> us about it. Obviously, both drivers were okay. That's the most important thing. But Luke, what happened? 
Oh, it's been, this has been the story post-race. Like, we, we've been through all the press conferences and obviously we sort of churn out all the stories and it, fans just, this is all they want to read right now. This is all they care about. And uh, yeah, so we had, um, obviously George Russell was gaining, gaining, gaining on Valtteri Bottas, uh, trying to make a move for P9. Bottas had a, a really terrible race. I don't know if there's any other way to put it. Um, Bottas said that he's been struggling with tyre warm-up particularly in the, in the cooler conditions. Apparently it's an issue with the W12 car. It cost him in qualifying yesterday. Uh, and then in the race, obviously with the rain, made it really, really difficult. And um, Russell came in a couple of laps earlier to make the switch to slicks, which gave him sort of warmer tyres. Therefore, he was able to gain that much on Bottas. And I think when we're talking about sort of the idea of 2022 Bottas versus Russell, who's going to be Hamilton's teammate potentially, it was a really significant moment. And Russell went for the overtake, moved to the right-hand side as they were coming down towards that first chicane, hit a wet patch, and that caused him to lose control. His car then spit to the left, straight into Valtteri Bottas's car. It eliminated both cars on the spot and were at a red flag. And then we quickly saw both drivers were okay. Russell hopped out of his car. He went straight over to Valtteri Bottas's cockpit and gave a very Italian hand gesture and then gave him a, a little slap on the helmet as well. Um, Bottas then responded uh, by flipping the bird. And I, um, I, I said in my headline that Bottas pointed the finger at uh, Russell for the instant. And that was that was meant one finger in particular. cleverly done there. and um thank you thank you and it um yeah and it's been in these post-race media sessions that we've actually got more and more sort of flesh on the bone to it and russell he came out and said that he apparently went over to bottas and said are you trying to kill both of us he said that bottas broke a gentleman's agreement in that when you're going at that speed apparently you should stick entirely to your line he said that bottas moved slightly to the right that then caused him to duke off to the right and then caused the crash uh, Bottas said that that wasn't the case at all. He didn't do that. And then when the stewards investigated it and took no further action, deeming it to be a racing incident, they too said that Bottas maintained his line throughout the corner. And the really interesting part of all of it was a line that George Russell gave uh, saying, perhaps if it was another driver, he wouldn't have, meaning defended so aggressively. Uh, so that's what went through my mind at the moment. So as if to say, look, if this is the guy who's going to possibly replace me at Mercedes next year, I better be a bit more aggressive with my defending as opposed to anybody else. And it's something I put to Toto Wolf, and he was like, wait, what? And I had to sort of say the quote back to him and he just turned and went, that's bullshit. And Toto was really unhappy and he said that while he wouldn't apportion 100% of the blame to anybody, it was pretty clear that to him, George was the man who was at fault. He said that Russell's got lots to learn. He said that he should have approached it differently knowing it's a Mercedes car ahead because he's a Mercedes driver. He said it shouldn't have gone for an overtake where he went for the overtake, said he's going to go and talk with him. Um, Bottas, he was also asked about Russell's idea and he said, uh, I must have lost my aluminium foil hat somewhere. It's quite a theory. And again, just said that he would have defended the same to anybody. And uh, But then Russell, he was asked about his comments and he said, it's pretty clear what I intended and what I meant by those comments. So he didn't even dial it back in as some sort of drivers tend to do when they realise in the heat at the moment they said something. He stuck to his guns. So I'm I, I'm loving it. Like, And George said that he wants to give Bottas a phone call to kind of clear the air a little bit. Bottas has said he's an easygoing guy. He said, I'm not friends with George, but I'm not friends with any of the drivers. So it's okay. There's no issues or anything like that. Um, but when we are sort of talking in the context of 2022, who's going to take that Mercedes seat? This is such a huge moment and it's so exciting. Like, I love it. And thank God they are both okay. That's the main thing. But it's just such a spicy storyline to get us going, I think, as we head into the rest of the season. And we've got another, what, 21 races potentially where we can have these two sort of duking it out maybe. It's great. So great. 
Mm. On Sky afterwards, Toto said something which, well, it was a flippant comment and meant in jest, which obviously means that it'll be taken out of context and go around the cheap websites <laughs> as nailed on thunder from, from the Sky, where he said that, you know, this this was the chance for these guys for to help me decide whether to place them in the Mercedes or in the Renault Clio Cup next year. And uh, guess who's going to the Renault Clio Cup uh, was, was more or less what he said. So, uh, yes, we, we could expect to read more on that in the following days Codders I will read you a headline from a website which is not Autosport or anyone associated with us Toto Wolf threatens George Russell with Renault Clio Cup demotion that's a genuine headline <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there is so much to unpick in this situation because like you said George hasn't actually backed down at all since and you know even though you usually see people calming down a little bit and rethinking things he's sticking to his guns Bottas is sticking to his guns so first of all do you think that it was one person's fault more than the other I'm seeing Luke's face lighting up there Jess we'll start with you do you think that it was one person's fault more than the other first of all I I I think that this is a far more complex question than what you're asking because firstly what the hell is a Mercedes doing battling a Williams in the first place oh we're getting to that we're getting to that um (laughs) you you on on Twitter you blame George I I do think you can't change your position now that that's adjusting your line the receipts Um, no you're right I think uh, of everybody I think you know if we're going to uh, a portion blame then probably i would i would say george um i actually found it incredible how many people immediately wanted to blame bottas um and when i did tweet that and said look to me that looks like that was george who is, is primarily at fault here um even though it was obviously decided that it was a racing incident which i think is probably fair um you know everybody was going no bottas jerked to the right he jerked to the right and I just couldn't believe, like, I was like, am I watching the same onboards as you guys? Because, yes, okay, there's a twitch, right? But Bottas is taking the racing line and the dry line, and George decides to go outright. There's a slight twitch. George overcorrects massively in response to that. Out of fear, I mean, I probably would too if I was going that fast down the straight and somebody's weaving to the right to me. Uh, actually, I'm going to – wasn't weaving. Slight twitch. Plenty of space. There's probably room for for like three cars, the amount of room that Bottas left him. So I just don't think like that, that if we're going to start playing the blame game, I don't think any of it can be given to Bottas personally, um, apart from the fact that that Mercedes shouldn't have been there in, in the first place. Um, but yeah, I think we've kind of picked it out. Like I think Toto was right. Like for me, that was a I don't know if it was a move of desperation or just kind of, you know, when you just get that blind adrenaline filled, you know, like I'm going to get Bottas. I'm going to show Mercedes what I've got. All the headlines are going to be about how I should be in that seat and not him. I mean, obviously we're talking, this is, this is going on in microseconds. So I'm sure, you know, he's not going through this whole diatribe as he's uh, attempting this overtake, but I think a lot of that will probably be in Russell's head. And again, shown by the fact that that is the uh, dialogue that he wants to be talked about post-race, which is quite telling. Um, And also, um, this is something that it it brought back memories for me of of George Russell in Formula 2 and GP3, as it was when he was racing. 
he does love to blame other people for his mistakes. He's done it a number of times and he never seems to back down. I think it was Baku 2018 uh, when the top five basically took each other out uh, in the race. And George, even though it was it was a very, I mean, Baku's crazy anyway, but George was very like vehemently saying that it wasn't his fault, even though he was part of the problem. But so there seems to be a bit of a pattern here. He's under a lot of pressure. He's frustrated. We know that he's hugely impatient to be in that Mercedes. So yeah, for me, it was it was a case of immaturity on Russell's part. I mean, ballsy. It just he just he didn't pull it off. It, very lucky that no none of them ended up hurt. It was a horrific crash to see on the replays. Um, and I, I just don't I just don't buy it, George. I'm sorry. I think I think it was just it was a, it was a silly move. You didn't pull it off. You ended up in the wall. And again, Imola, no points for George. There's two things to come out of this. So the, fir- the first thing you have to consider is the closing speed, you know, the, the speed differential between the two cars. And although it seems extraordinary to be talking about a, a Williams having a, what, what's, what did George say, a 30 mile an hour um, closing speed yeah. on the Mercedes, yeah, because of DRS and the slipstream, it takes two to tango. And the it's up to the driver of the car that is slipstreaming and has DRS open to manage that closing speed as much as it's the responsibility of the the driver they're trying to overtake to not adjust their line. So that that's something we have to consider. All these drivers know each other. They know their foibles. If if you're a good racing driver and you're racing against someone else regularly, you know. I think I think it was John Surtees who said, you know, you know the people you have to avoid, the and the people who, quite frankly, you can take liberties with. And that's the sensible. It was sensible in the night. 1960s and it's even more sensible now when the cars are faster and and I suppose the other thing which is cleaved to the narrative of it being Bottas's fault is that people are trying to draw a straight line um, along a straight that is not straight you know the 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 approach to Tamburello kinks twice particularly it and it does noticeably go left just in what you might call the braking area after the pit exit and so the the onboard from Russell's car made it look uh, that as if Bottas was running him out of road when maybe actually that wasn't really what was happening. It was just the natural curvature of the track made it look like Bottas was putting him off at uh, 200 miles an hour. So I can understand why a lot of people would instantly leap to George's defence. But yeah, uh, I, I think all in all, it's a good thing that these things are decided by the stewards and not by a shouting match on Twitter. And what do you guys make of the comment that George made about the fact that if it had maybe been another driver, uh, Bottas would have responded differently? Do you think George is reaching a bit there and maybe just getting a bit carried away? As we said, it's milliseconds that they're having to think about this. Do you think that Bottas was really sitting there looking in his mirror thinking, oh my God, it's George, I need to react differently to I would other- how I would otherwise? I mean, I can't wait to see how no. much of a big deal Netflix make out of this, but um yeah i think it's gonna make a great episode and we're only in the second round of the season so yeah uh you know it's gonna be a great narrative but i just don't think i just don't buy it like they're both the bottas is under pressure no doubt about it and this race could not have gone worse for him um the results were bad his qualifying was poor you know he's struggling where uh hamilton is excelling and you know how much longer can Mercedes keep George at bay not for much longer and they're gonna have to have a real good excuse 
to say why. I mean, obviously, they're still in control here. You know, the drivers don't get to do too much of the dictating in terms of teams, but they also will not want George to go looking elsewhere and sniffing elsewhere because he is still a great talent. Um, but I just don't, I don't buy it. I don't buy that, you know, Bottas is a really level-headed driver. As we said, like, he's not particularly friends with any of the other drivers because he's just there to race and get on with what he can do. Now, whether that was enough today, no, uh, in my opinion. But, you know, I don't have him down as this calculated, right, I'm going to shove George and cause a collision. I just don't buy it, um, which is why I'm actually quite disappointed with George. But, you know, this is the thing about Formula One. It's not all about what goes on on track. It's about your value, your, you know, what value do you have, like your stocks, basically, like how can you play the game? Because this is very much like a chess game. Like what move are you going to do next to ensure that your career has longevity, uh, to ensure you get in the best team with the best car so that you have the best chance of winning championships? And, you know, whilst I'm not saying that George is this evil, conniving, uh, scheming driver, I think there is, there's, there's, there's kind of, there are going to be frustrations there as to why he would want that, that narrative to play out. So yeah, that's, that's, I just, yeah, don't buy it. Sorry. I agree. I think that it is a, I think it is a stretch. I think that Bottas, he's never in the, what, eight years he's been racing in Formula One. We've never seen him sort of as a particularly dirty or sort of very overly aggressive driver when it comes to defending. And even Bottas said himself afterwards, he was like, I could have been more aggressive. Um, And yeah, I think that that is, I think, and that's why I expected George actually to dial his comments in because he is very, very good in terms of what he says to the press. And a couple of times he'll, he'll say something and then a couple of minutes later he'll be like, actually, could you change that word to this? Because he's very wary about things sort of being misconstrued. And even in terms of our sort of post-race coverage and stuff, I was kind of thinking, okay, well, I don't want to go too crazy because he might in a couple of hours time be like, oh no, I didn't mean it like that and dial it back in and rein it back in. But the fact he hasn't done that, I think is really interesting because as Jess said, it does kind of lend itself towards thinking what kind of narrative does he really want to get out there? What kind of things does he want us to be talking about? I observed this evening that Mrs. Codling has chalked uh, tinfoil onto the family shopping list. So I better not waste any of it by wrapping it around my head. It was definitely a difficult day for Williams regardless and I do agree that I don't think today will reflect too well on George especially the fact that he hasn't dialed back on those comments um, and we also saw the DNF from Nicholas Latifi after the collision with Nikita Mazepin but as we just touched on with Valtteri Bottas even before the collision this wasn't a good day for him and this hasn't been a good weekend for him what is going on there I, I saw a comment on Twitter about pointing out the fact that, you know, we saw Lewis manage to fight his way back through the grid after his incident, whereas we'd witnessed Valtteri just struggling uh, prior to his collision with George. What's going on with Valtteri? Is he just not in tune with the car the way Lewis is, or is this a bigger issue at hand? I think that it's just a case of trying to understand the w12 car still because it is clearly a very difficult car and that's what valtteri explains after the race and he, he was like yeah i shouldn't really have been down there in the first place and it is just this tire warm-up issue that is so different to what mercedes have traditionally had with their cars traditionally their cars have actually been very very good when it's cooler and when it gets hotter it's a bit of a problem um whereas now it is the fact that yeah they are struggling to get the tires up to temperature and we saw that in qualifying yesterday Bottas in Q1 absolutely nailed his tyre warm-up. It was all perfect. And he set a lap time that actually would have been good enough for fourth had that been set in Q3, but it wasn't. 
And it was the same thing today. He said on the intermediate tyres, he just couldn't get to grips with the tyre warm. It was a real big struggle. And that left him struggling behind Stroll for so long on the intermediate tyres. So I think really it's... Yeah, I think that's that, that that's really the size of it. I think that it's just these sort of issues with the car that maybe Lewis is just able to get that much more on top of and sort of handle and get his head around. Whereas for Valtteri, it's sort of maybe taking him a little bit longer. And it's only been two races. So I think we've got to sort of let's not overreact too much so far. But in terms of, yeah, we're looking at sort of a title challenge and it's always been that Bottas has started really strongly and then it's kind of tailed off. Whereas this year there's been, it's, yeah, it hasn't been a good start at all. He's not really done much to sort of uh, convince anyone of um, of um, that he can be a title challenger. So, yeah, I think I think he's still got work to do to get sort of his understanding of the car sorted. Uh, I wouldn't read too much into it just yet. But if we're having the same conversation in another three, four, five races time, then, yeah, I think we've got to reassess that. I'm glad he qualified that because I thought he was just trying to work out the point size of the Cognizant logo on the back of Stroll's car. I do think we need to keep an eye on how Valtteri does this season. And I also think that given the strength of the Red Bull car, Mercedes are really going to be wanting him to be on top form. Um, because as we saw today, Lewis up there with both the Red Bulls sandwiching him as we got off the line, wasn't something that I'm sure they're going to want to continue seeing. They're going to want Valtteri up there so they can use that to their advantage when it comes to strategy as well. But swinging to those who did have a good day, Ferrari, we were expecting Charles Leclerc to have a good day and Carlos Sainz also ended up coming out better than he probably anticipated. We did see him getting a little bit frustrated at himself earlier on in the race and um, quite annoyed at himself for his mistakes, but he ended up finishing well what did you guys make of Ferrari's performance today both Charles and Carlos's yeah I mean I thought at the beginning it was a little bit like Carlos was trying to emulate his father by rallying in a Formula One car in the gravel track um but um it it seemed to pay off because yeah fifth on the road at the end of the race in a race like that was a really strong result because he definitely as we've touched on this racetrack is not one you really want to be driving around when you're not fully confident in the car. And we've got a few drivers that are still trying to get up to speed with their car. I mean, Sergio Perez definitely wasn't having an easy time of it out there either. So it's very punishing when you don't have that full level of confidence. Um, and so, you know, the fact that he was able to kind of bring it together showed that he is a great driver I mean we all know this I mean they're all great drivers but you know that was a really strong performance from Carlos um so I was actually quite pleasantly surprised at where he ended up because yeah it wasn't looking so great for him at the beginning of the race and Leclerc I mean starting from uh from P4 where he did you know he's very very good at just keeping that Ferrari where he needs to and not and you know taking the most out of any opportunity that comes his way uh, to stick that car maybe arguably where it doesn't belong although it has been shown that Ferrari have come on leaps and bounds from last season um so again just a really strong performance it just goes to show like how very level and mature both those drivers are in terms of um in terms of their driving styles and how they adapt to super changeable situations and uh and uh uh, kind of the environments that we saw today so yeah top job from the ferrari boys they i'm sure everybody in italy is very happy with uh with the result today 
Leclerc, after the race, admitted that he did really have a get-out-of-jail-free card, if I may use that phrase, for at least the second time in this podcast, because you ever he, he spun it around. Aquamilarali. Um, but back, back, back in the old days, you know, that was actually a large grass runoff area rather than the, the asphalt runoff that um, Charles Leclerc spun around on um, today. And of course, in the 1991 San Marino Grand Prix on the warm-up lap, where there were similar conditions to today, um, Alan Prost went off in the Ferrari, um, spun it round, ended up ground um, s- stuck in basically mud in that runoff and didn't even make the start. And that was the year where he got fired from Ferrari. And I remember watching that on TV because I'm dead old. And uh, the, there were people actually leaving uh, when when they saw that because they thought, well, one the Ferrari's out, why are we even staying? So, yeah, Charles was, Charles was lucky there and then had a great break um, in you know, at the race start to, to have a commanding position. But then he also said that at the end, they knew they would be struggling because they'd taken a gamble on setup and added a fair bit of downforce in anticipation of, of rain today, uh, which paid off to an extent, but also made the car draggy in a straight line and at risk from being overtaken. And kind of that's what we saw. So I, I'd, I'd say Charles definitely extracted the maximum from the car today. Charles, again, as I said earlier, we've got, okay, Max and Lewis who are these uber uber incredible talents but Charles I think yeah given the car he's got underneath him I think has been doing an incredible job he's been P4 on the grid for both races so far this season and Ferrari I mean their big thing coming into this weekend they wanted to see whether the drop-off they felt in Bahrain from qualifying to the race was the same obviously with the rain and stuff it's a little bit difficult to, to to really judge that but I think that they can be actually very satisfied and happy with what they were doing I mean Charles was a comfortable P4 on the road up the way to the uh, the red flag and then obviously he was able to, to to move up to second I believe for the restart and had it been that Lando was on the same tyres then okay the, the softs definitely helped Lando sort of get up to speed a bit quicker and to get ahead but it was yeah I, th- I thought an excellent drive and I thought that Science did very well as well I think that he he again is sort of proving that yeah he's a, he's a very safe pair of hands and on a day where you can make a lot of mistakes and obviously he had a couple of moments and even at one point he was like how many mistakes am I going to make and it's uh, yeah but he he got away with it and it was okay in the end and I think that I think Ferrari can just be really pleased that it's a really decent points haul perhaps unlucky not to get a podium had it not been for Lewis's great comeback they they would have got a podium in Italy which should have been huge for them uh, but I think that yeah they can just be satisfied that it was a race where things could easily have gone wrong and actually Ferrari was the one team that did sort of remarkably hold things together and come home with a, a strong double point score so I think they can be very pleased yeah yeah, they were one of the teams actually who did hold up well. Like you said, a lot of the other teams had one driver doing well, maybe another one doing not so well or just neither doing well. But let's talk about Sergio Perez. Jess just mentioned him previously. Things didn't go to plan for him today. He had that brilliant qualifying session yesterday, but today everything just seemed to unravel as the race went on. He had his 10 second penalty. We heard him talking about some sort of steering wheel issues and he ultimately ended up out of the points what what was going on today what went wrong for this guy well that was a driver taking a uh, front row start and flushing it right down the toilet wasn't it you know not <laughs> not just one not just one off track blunder but another and, and both of them proving incredibly costly so his his first major on off off track moment he rejoined and overtook the the cars that had passed him while he was off and because he did that 
what under the safety car conditions not allowed so he's always going to be penalized really the, the team at that point should have told him to give those positions back and then he had another costly off which cost him positions later on in the race while the track was green and that was kind of it for him there was no coming back from that and then like you say the, the penalty cost him track position and he had to have that steering wheel change so you we really should have seen both Red Bull drivers on the podium today. And I think to be fair, and if when he watches this race in review, Sergio Perez will kind of look at his own performance and say, well, actually, I, I should have been on the podium and I, I threw that away myself. Uh, obviously, the mitigating circumstances are the the it was tricky and lots of other drivers made mistakes. He just paid quite a disproportionately high price for his. It was a mistake very actually similar to what Alex Albon did last year when he was, I believe, the exact same corner and spun out when he was in a very good position. And I think that ultimately that's what Red Bull, that's what they didn't want this year. It was meant to be that you've got two safe pair of hands. And I think particularly with how the grid was lined up, it was meant to be that they could basically two on one Mercedes and they could because that's what happened to Red Bull last year that Mercedes could split the strategies and get the jump and that was really what Red Bull should have been able to do and and have sort of two bullets in the gun Uh, but they didn't they didn't have that and I think that Checo he said that after qualifying yesterday he was surprised by the result that he still feels miles off with the with the car and I think maybe today we saw that there were a couple of moments even when he was going for a pass on Sebastian Vettel for 14th or somewhere way down the order it was just a little bit impatient and he clattered it across the curbs and ran wide a little bit and Seb was able to sneak back past. And it's just things like that that really, particularly when you know how good Checo is in terms of sort of tyre management and these crossover conditions and things like that. That's why it's so odd. And again, it kind of speaks to the the idea of, okay, well, that's a very difficult car to drive and very hard to get on top of. And I think we're just seeing that again. But I think he knew what he was signing up for and he still should be bringing home those decent halls of points and it just didn't happen today. So yeah, a huge opportunity missed, I think, for both for Checo and for Red Bull as well, particularly when you saw one Mercedes not score. That was a chance to to, to sort of, for the Constructors' Championship, make a, a big dent in that points total. I want to also talk about Pierre Gasly because we had gone into today also thinking that he would probably end up quite strong, but his day did not go to plan like many others. Uh, we saw him kept out on those wet tyres for what felt like painfully long at the start. And from then it was just, you know, not not a good race, not how he'd probably envisioned it. But what was going on there at the start? Because obviously we saw Esteban Ocon switch over pretty quickly when he realised that the tyres weren't appropriate. Why were they holding back so much for Pierre Gasly? I think their weather forecaster was probably a little bit optimistic because we kept hearing Pierre's uh, <laughs> engineer come over the radio and say, more rain coming, more rain coming. And sort of like, don't worry, these wets are going to be okay. He lost positions to Russell, Raikkonen, Giovinazzi and Sonoda all on all on one lap and it really threw away for the second race in a row a a big opportunity and it's it's a shame because yeah Pierre's been driving so well this year AlphaTauri have done so much testing privately at Imola it's their home track they're 12 kilometers away this was meant to be sort of the race where if anyone was going to capitalize on those conditions and and have a big result it, it should have really have been Gasly but we, we saw none of that today. And yeah, he got P7 in the end after Lance Stroll's post-race penalty. But yeah, really disappointing because I think that, and not on Pierre's side, maybe sort of more of a strategic side, I think that's what um, nerfed his race early on. But yeah, really, really a big shame. They failed to seize the moment, basically, didn't they? They did. 
You mentioned there, Luke, the post-race penalties that have since been applied. Can you just update our listeners on them in case... (laughs) Or Codders or Jess, but it's just because you mentioned them, I thought I'd put you on the spot. I can do it. I Um, I just don't understand one of them. So it's, um, yeah. Well, Um, tell us more. Tell us more and tell us why you're not understanding one of them. Gosh. Um, Okay, so we've uh, got a five-second time penalty for Lance Stroll. And in the wet, that was because he essentially straight-lined the Tamburello chicane to overtake Gasly and then stayed ahead. And that was something that wasn't really picked up at the time, uh, but then later on was flagged and they had a meeting about it. Uh, Apparently, Stroll's defence was, it was so wet, so I couldn't really go anywhere else. Therefore, I had to go off track, but it's not really how it works, Lance. So uh, yeah, he ended up with a five-second penalty that basically gave his position to Gasly. So that's quite a fair penalty. Uh, the bigger penalty came for Kimi Raikkonen, who did finish ninth, uh, gave uh, Alfa Romeo a couple of points and a pretty decent day. I think they can be pretty pleased with that. Uh, but he copped a 30-second penalty after the race for uh, essentially breaching the restart rules. And I've only had a quick glance through the stewards' document. I don't really understand it. And it seems like nobody else really understands it. And the stewards themselves don't really understand it and they've kind of gone well those are the rules we don't really get why but that's it and it surrounds I think the rolling restart and when he came into the pit lane or or what he was doing um yeah it's um it's a shame because I think Alfa Romeo a couple of points it's a good boost for them particularly when they're sort of in this lower midfield fight and two points could settle the battle for eighth ninth and tenth but uh not to be so yeah uh disappointing result for them but that does mean that Fernando Alonso gets a point for P10, which is probably one more point than he actually deserved because Alpine were nowhere today. Mm. It's, a, it's a double blow for Alfa Romeo, isn't it? Because the uh, they had both drivers in the top 10, but then you know the, the driver known to the many tens of viewers of Sky Sports F1 as Joe Vinazzi had to make an unscheduled pit stop to have something plucked from his brake duct, so, rear brake duct. So that dropped him out of the top 10, which was very unfortunate because actually he was having a pretty good race and he, he's a driver who very often has moderately decent races, but then makes one huge blunder in them that is really really costly and and I didn't spot one of those from him today it was it was just a shame that you know maybe a sandwich wrapper flew into his brake duct or whatever uh, happened to Fernando Alonso in Bahrain and he had to stop to have it plucked Twitter informs me that Giovinazzi is now known as Jesus apparently it's a new meme or something I, it's a long hair but yeah I I, I, Perhaps I tweeted Jesus. about his his moaning about um, Mazepin yesterday and someone replied oh even Jesus is mad as him and it's like what and apparently it's a thing Okay, I was not extraordinary aware of that. scenes. Now I want to talk about Aston Martin because it's safe to say that they had a pretty manic start to the day. They had issues before the lights even went out. We saw Lance Stroll's brakes on fire. Vettel had to start from the pit, and he also ultimately ended in the pit because he had to retire with that gearbox issue. Things aren't getting better for Sebastian Vettel, are they, Jess? No. Um, but they, I mean, Aston Martin in general seem to be in a bit of a flap. Um, obviously, we saw earlier on in the weekend, uh, Otmar Safnauer very upset with obviously the aero reg changes, which I'm sure we've covered in uh, previous podcasts this weekend. Um, but they just seem to be a bit shaken. I think they, they had a lot of expectation on them coming into this season, the return of Aston Martin to Formula One the many uh, millions of, of investment coming from uh, Papa Stroll, um, a four-time world champion joining the team, 
um, and something that used to look like a bit like a Mercedes um, last season. And obviously how uh, how they got on last season as well. The The idea was that it would only go up and they've not had a great start of it. I mean, I have to say that Stroll has shown a bit of his metal, really. I know he's had mistakes, but I do think that he has put in some really good performances considering where that Aston Martin is and considering how much of a disadvantage we're being led to believe it, it is having. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, 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 the penalty for not having the tyres on in time, I mean, that's just rookie stuff. You know, like, what? why are we talking about teams not having... And obviously, it was because there was a bigger issue um, on the car, uh, as it turned out. But I just think it's, it's, it's just not going very well for them um, at the moment. And, you know, we, we hope that it's going to get better. Because, again, I don't know if... I don't know if I can take many more races of seeing Vettel tootling around at the at the back of the grid because we know how brilliant Sebastian Vettel is. We've just not been able to see it yeah. for quite a few seasons now, um, and it's just it's just quite disheartening. It's not nice to watch. We want a really competitive grid, so um, <laughs> I'm not sure if the guys have a solution <laughs> to Aston Martin's woes, but I guess like not. <laughs> not having problems like a penalty for not having your tires on in the correct uh, allotted time would be would be a start probably turn the year off and turn it back on again i think yeah is what they i, need I to think do. they'd love to do that wouldn't they yeah i think that and I, i'm really that says enough really, i think that's yeah <laughs> that exasperated noise honestly um first i thought that i think otmar safnauer i think his position on all this aero week stuff is ludicrous i don't understand it at all and privately from what i've heard from other teams they're they're just completely baffled by where he's coming from and toto wolf has said i mean you've got every right to go and ask the fia about it and sort of say well what was the thinking behind this but ultimately that that's kind of the way it is and we've got 2022 on the horizon why on earth would you fight this battle now i i don't know um but if you're a team who, and it seems Aston Martin are sort of towards that, maybe that lower midfield fight, they're not quite on the same pace as the likes of Ferrari, McLaren, uh, maybe even Alfa Tauri, sort of perhaps Aston Martin and Alpine are quite quite similar. You want to be focusing on the operational stuff. You want to be getting your pit stops absolutely nailed. You want to be ensuring that everything you do is perfect so you can capitalise on a race such as today. And if you don't do that, it's like, well, what are you doing? And it was, again, just really basic stuff. I mean, Stroll had his uh, his brake fire, obviously, before the start, and that caused a big panic and fair play. Aston Martin were able to go and fix that perfectly and get that sorted. Great. Um, but then Vettel ended up starting from pit lane, and then it was the the tyre issue. Uh, and then he made the switch over to Slicks. And I thought, okay, maybe Seb can do something here. Like, he's going to be the, the guy to roll the dice. He could benefit. And then literally at the same moment, it was, oh, no, time penalty as well. And I think that, yeah, you just need to iron out those issues. And I know this is very much a team still in transition and still growing if it wants to become sort of a big heavyweight in Formula One. But yeah, I think that it's just not been a good start to the end. You're kind of already thinking, well, is is this year going to be a bit of a write-off for the team? Particularly from where they were last season as well. Yes, they've been hurt by the um, the, the downforce cuts, ultimately. Toto Wolff said that Aston Martin really had been collateral damage uh, against something that was really done seemingly to hit Mercedes. But that's what you get when you follow Mercedes. You, you copy their car and ultimately you're going to be hurt by things that they are hurt by as well. So that's that's just how it works. It, it cuts both ways. So yeah, 
Difficult time. Um, I think Seb, he should have made peace with the Imola Cap because I think that's where this whole curse and weekend has <laughs> completely fallen down for him. Um, but uh, no, I mean, yeah, all joking aside, it's a difficult one for them. But I think, as Jess said, I think Lance Stroll has been doing a really good job this year, um, picking up a few points where he can and deserves some credit for that. So uh, yeah, I think that it's good that they've got some points on the board because it could quite easily be zero right now, which would be really embarrassing. Quite mischievously, I kind of think back to um, many, many years ago when um, Nelson Piquet was driving for Brav and winning world championships for them. There were people that might might be described by the late Murray Walker as nattering nabobs who would say, well, actually, he's not all that. How how quick would that car be with a decent driver in it and with a decent driver in the other car? And sometimes I've sort of looked at Aston Martin this year and kind of thought, well, where where would that car be if it actually had two drivers who are actually on it? Um, maybe I'm maybe I'm being wrong. Maybe I'm being completely unfair. You know, um, you, you know where our office address is, listeners, if you wish to send correspondence disagreeing with me. Now, the last team that we haven't spoken about is Haas. I mean, we know that their car is a very difficult one. They're not really too fussed on how it performs this year because they're putting all of their resources into next year. We did see Mick having that incident where he lost his front wing and then couldn't get back into the pits because his own debris had caused pit lane to close. But any comments on today's performance by Mick and Nikita or... Nothing to say, Jess. Did we even include them in our race report? Other than Mick causing a <laughs> pit lane entry closure? Uh, I mean, I know I think we're putting them I in the F2 report. I haven't commented on them in many of the recordings, so I thought I had to get it out there just, you know, yeah. for full coverage yeah. this time. It's just, I mean, I guess a, a plus point is Nikita finished. Like, Valid. And that, you know, he, he gave it a good go to not. So the fact that he did is good. I did feel a bit for Mick when, as you said, his own debris kind of he played himself really by by crashing and then having to do a couple of laps without a front wing. I bet that wasn't fun. But I guess you know, in the grand scheme of things, it it wasn't really. I mean, how can you really lose when you're at the back? So it's just kind of like I was going about to say damage control, but he didn't manage that, did he? Because he caused quite a bit of damage. Um. So, yeah, I mean, I don't really know what to say about Haas. It's just a bit like, yeah, let's just get to next year for you guys, really. The the Emilia Romana region, as on, on top of being, you know, historically where Roman legionaries retired after their 25 years service, given packets of land, etc. Lovely. In the at the beginning of the 20th century, it was an absolute hotbed of communism. So perhaps what Mick was doing was kind of doing his little bit for full employment in the region by ensuring there was plenty of crap all over the circuit that someone needed to be employed to sweep up. I did wonder that? where you were going with that. There's Codders. my theory right there. I really panicked for a second. Codders theories couldn't. <laughs> Because apart from that, I mean, someone's going to put together a cracking edit of 
all the mishaps that the Haas drivers have been through this year um, and, and put it to what we know as the Benny Hill music, which I believe is, is officially known as Yakety Sax, if you look that up on Google. That is uh, what, what that music is called. And, um, yeah, it'll be a very entertaining sort of two- or three-minute package, you know, based on what I've seen so far. But there could be a three-hour director's cut. There could be a Zack Snyder cut of it with all the 12-inch versions of Yakety Sax glued together end-to-end with every single Mick Schumacher and Nikita Mazepin shunt. There's some references I really did not get. Caught yeah, of, uh, good for you. Um, but I, some, um, of them, some of I, them were contemporary as well. <laughs> if you say so. Um, How are we defining? If I may add my two cents sorry, on this. Sorry, yeah. Um, yes, Luke, do <laughs> bring some sense to this sorry. madness. Um, <laughs> I, I actually. So when we saw the incident between, we saw the TV in the wall and saw that he'd had a clash with Mazepin. A lot of people, myself included, automatically went. Mazepin's done it again. That's another collision. And then the replay actually showed that not really. Latifi had spun himself, come back onto the track, didn't really see where Mazepin was and drifted to the right, leaving Mazepin really nowhere to go. He would have had to go onto the grass to avoid a collision and it it caused the crash. So I think that, I don't want to say credit, but um, (laughs) let's not let's not <laughs> accuse Mazepin of something it wasn't his fault like that. it wasn't his fault so yeah no, it wasn't Mazepin at one point was I think three seconds off Schumacher's best lap time and consistently through the opening part of the race was just so far from his teammate and it is I think and it's something that Gunter spoke about earlier this this week sort of about the the idea of all these spins and everything and and the struggles he's having as he's kind of getting used to what life in F1 is like and what this car is like because last year he was racing an F2 doing private testing in a Mercedes which obviously is a hell of a lot quicker than a Haas car and I think he's just sort of getting getting to grips with it and obviously it's very tricky conditions out there yes but you would kind of expect someone who is allegedly of F1 quality and someone who hasn't okay he's not set the world on fire in junior formula but he's not been terrible he's not a sort of uh, a, a driver who's won nothing and never won a race or anything like that to maybe be doing a little bit better so I was yeah disappointed by that and yeah yeah okay it's going to be a difficult season for Haas but I think you at least want to see their drivers being somewhere in the same ballpark of each other and right now it kind of seems like Mick is the only guy really sort of giving any kind of hope to the team in terms of their performances Nikita, I think he'll come good. I think that if you give him time, because let's face it, he's not going to be binned off at the end of the year. He will get up to speed and I think he will get onto a pace. But it's races like this where you just see, you look at the time gap and you go, I mean, that's that's hard to justify, really. You need an egg timer, basically, rather than a stopwatch with him at the moment. And I think digital technology needs to be employed because this is modern Formula One. And there you have it. That's the nice (laughs) nugget that we will leave it on. Thank you guys for your time today to chat. It was a great race today with lots of different elements coming into play. Lots of theories from Codders there to drive the internet into overdrive. And Formula (laughs) One will be back in two weeks for the Portuguese Grand Prix and we'll be back with our race coverage then. But while we wait for the next race weekend, why not head over to Autosport Plus where Alex Kalinorkas writes about what Mercedes must do to keep its F1 title challenge on track. Adam Cooper on why Ferrari's significant step isn't enough for Charles Leclerc. And and David Mousher asks if Penske can redress the balance in IndyCar's Battle of the Titans. New subscribers who sign up today can use the promo code PODCAST during checkout to save 50% off their first payment. 
go to autosport.com forward slash plus, click sign in at the top of the page and then put in that promo code podcast and grab that 50% discount. And that's all from us. Thank you for listening. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hey, what's up, guys? This is MMA fighter Clay Guida, and I'm not afraid of anyone or anything. But losing my hair was an entirely different kind of fight. So if you're suffering from hair loss like I was, then you got to check out my boys at Bosley. Pound for pound, they are the champions of hair restoration. That's why I turned to Bosley to get my hair back. The entire Bosley team was so professional and kind from start to finish. All it took was a simple one-day procedure, and I was on my way back to rocking my full hair again. So take it from me. Don't wait if you are thinning or receding. I'm so thrilled with my results, I just wish I would have went to Bosley sooner. It's time to finally knock out hair loss because the best is yet to come. Check out Bosley today. When MMA fighter Clay Guida was losing his hair, he trusted Bosley to get it back. Now it's your turn. Get a free information kit, plus get a $250 off gift card when you text CLAY to 203203. Text CLAY to 203203. Or go to bosley.com. That's bosley.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.